Well, w- welcome back, everyone. Um, so after after our last episode, um, we decided to film or record something for the FCS season that's coming up in the spring. Uh, for after two straight years of failed pro football leagues in the spring, we have some FCS FCS football for one year only. And um, I mean, Marsh, do you have anything to say about the upcoming season? I think it's it's an interesting concept because it's like an FCS program, especially, right? I mean, I assume most of those are those programs profitable. Do we know? Do you have an idea? Or no? I think they are. I think some like the best teams are profitable, um, like James Madison or North Dakota State. The HBCUs for sure are profitable because year in year out, the MIAC and the SWAC lead uh, FCS in um, in attendance every single year. I mean, and some of that's because of like the neutral side games that they play, or okay. um, they just play in large stadiums. Okay. Well, I think that definitely helps the cause. So if they're already profitable, like think about it from the perspective of like a pro football league, it's like your goal is to like make money ultimately. Right. And so it's like the failure on those parts is like primarily due to the fact they can draw eyeballs and can generate revenue. Right. And so it's like one, if you have FCS, which one, you know, you don't really necessarily need revenue to begin with in the sense that it's like, if you're a college, yeah, you get it's like helpful, I guess, to produce money, but at the same time, like your goal is not to like create revenue, right? A college's goal is like not to, you know, make profit from this, right? Yeah. But at this, and so that eliminates one aspect of the already failure on the part of the professional leagues. And in the second aspect, if you already have established brands that have established like fans coming to your games and like established programs, like I see no reason why the FCS isn't just gonna like be incredible, like in terms of like potential ratings, in terms of potential like even like growing like interest in the league. Like if you have this on at a time when there's nothing else on, people may watch that and they'll be like, oh, this is actually like a good product. We like watching this. This is cool. And they'll maybe they'll stick with it in the future. I don't know. I think the one thing, it'll be kind of tough during March Madness um, because mm. everyone's eyes are going to be on the tournament. But in like Saturdays like this where um, you, I mean, you have like a normal college basketball slate, you might have like on one screen a college basketball game, another screen um, a college football game, which I mean, that might be something I might do next week right. for Tarleton State right, talking, versus McNeese. You're talking from a point of privilege, all right? Not everyone has two screens, okay? <laughs> okay, well, I see your point. But yeah, you might you might like flip or flip channels around and like say, <laughs> have, um you know, the game off Fox for like, you know, cord cutters, like, like myself who will be a future cord cutter. You might have a game off Fox and like on your laptop, put on, a, you know, a game from... Um, stadium who has a the, the rights to patriot league games which is you know a free over it's a free over the air channel so um really really some options this year for uh cord cutters and everyone alike but uh th- this year we saw um we saw some teams come out of nowhere particularly san jose state and ball state the two teams in the arizona bowl who ended long conference championship grout- droughts uh and really beat the odds because I don't think anyone saw any of these teams winning the conference or even like their division heading into the year. So do you see, uh, before I name some of these teams, do you see like a sort of similar thing happening in the FCS level where teams have like this window due to just the circumstances of the pandemic? Sure. I mean, I think it's interesting. It's like at the, you know, the power five group of five, like kind of FCS level, like there's definitely the issue of there's not as much parity. I think in the SS level, you're already kind of, you have more of that parity. And I, I know you may discuss it a little bit, but it's like, if you have teams that are not necessarily, you don't have like an Alabama, right? Everyone kind of has that chance almost every year. So I, I think yes, in the sense that it's like, but yes, in the sense that the pandemic does create new opportunity for the teams this year. 
and also in the sense that there's more parity to begin with. So I don't know. What, 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 are, your, what are your thoughts on that? So I think, I think at the higher level, um, the parity, the situation with parity is a lot worse in FCS than it is for FBS, arguably, because who's at the top? North Dakota State. Like North Dakota State has won almost every title since 2011, except for like one or two. And okay. I, I don't think it's healthy for FCS. But if you look at the sort of micro level with individual conferences, there's a lot of parity in, in a lot of conferences, uh, whether it's conferences getting multiple bids. Like I think the Missouri Valley Conference had four playoff teams last year, three or four out of their 12 teams, not out of their 11 teams, excuse me. And a conference like the CAA, which constantly has teams cycling in and out of the playoffs, whether you have like, I think a couple years ago, Maine went all the way to the semifinals uh, unexpectedly. Um, and then who else in that league? Like New Hampshire in the past has been a, a power out of the CAA. Uh, James Madison, of course. Um, but the most, I think, glaring example of parity is the Patriot League. Uh, and not the Ivy League, which uh, in 2016 had had an opportunity to 20 yeah 2016 had an opportunity for a seven-way tie uh two weeks two weeks um in the last two weeks of the season which ultimately did not happen but just shows like the parity due to the similarity of those schools same thing kind of happens in the patriot league where like the ivy league did not give athletic scholarships until recently i think the only school now to not give athletic scholarships is georgetown um the boys but there's still that parity because it just cycles. It cycles in and out. Like there's hardly, and it's kind of been a problem. Uh, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a link in the description of this one for an editorial titled "What's Up with Patriot League Football?" Because it's in uh, 2017, and shoot, I didn't write this down, but in 2017, Lafayette had a five and six record and made the playoffs uh, out of the Patriot League. It's an automatic qualifier, and they had a Colgate team that was 20 that was seven and four that. And the year after, yes, you had, you had a really elite Colgate team, which Marshall and I were talking about before. A Colgate team that had five shutouts and allowed 33 points in nine games against F FCS opponents. Probably one of the greatest defenses of all time in, the recent, in recent memory. Uh, but that's sort of been the exception. And it was Lehigh, excuse me. Lehigh went to the playoffs with a five and six record in 2017. And then this past year, Holy Cross went to the playoffs with a six and with a seven and four record. But they really weren't that elite of a team, and they got blown out in the playoffs by Monmouth out of the Big South. So it just kind of cycles as to what teams are good and what teams make the playoffs each year. And I think the pandemic helps that with the Patriot League because it's it's a four it's a four game season in the Patriot League. Um, you have two teams in your division. It's gonna be a championship game. And before I talk about individual teams in the Patriot League, do you think having a championship game increases the chances of parity, Marshall, or? Uh, do you think just having, I guess, conference standings determine it, do that, like increase parity? I want to know your thoughts. I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's really tricky because it's like, I'm thinking about this from the perspective of like statistical outcomes, okay? So it's like, if you have like a conference slate, I suppose parity, like, so parity in the sense that it's not the same team at the top, right? So in that sense, I assume that like more randomness in the games would allow for more parity to ensue. And so I, I but at the same time, I guess, I'm, I don't know, it's, it's tricky because it's like, like think about it from like college basketball perspective, right? It's like, 
you have your conference slate and so you get your like regular season champion and then you have your playoff of like the conference itself and it's like from that perspective i guess more games introduces more randomness equals more parity so like the regular season slate however it's like for college football it's like you get the best team i guess would be in there at the end and they'd have a better chance i don't know i, I guess it would have to be the regular season just due to the effect of more games introducing more randomness into the equation but i don't know it's it's i don't know i honestly don't know if it really makes that much of a difference because it's like if you're north dakota state you're probably going to win either way but it's like if you're in the patriot league it's all up for grabs either way so i don't know i don't know honestly i don't know so i think um maybe the better question is to ask like whether it i guess dilutes the quality of of postseason play coming from your conference because the way I look at it, um, like this past year, for example, sure. with uh, Northwestern and Ohio State and Northwestern certainly had their opportunities to beat Ohio State throughout that game, but you end up with uh, with the, the possibility or the outcome of a Northwestern team that, yeah, they're 7-1, and one, but they're clearly not the best team in this conference. And really they, I mean, while they beat the best teams, the metrics say Ohio State's best team, um, and Ohio State might not have come to play or whatever. You know, those sort of, sort of things come out where you don't have the best team representing you in the postseason. Right. Um, in that case, it's, it's, a different, it's a different scenario given it's like bowl games where like Northwestern probably would have ended up in the Fiesta Bowl or something, and Ohio State also would have been in a New Year's Six Bowl. But you look at something like, say, we, we'll say uh, the Patriot League, since uh, that's the conference we're, we're on right now. Say Holy Cross <laughs> goes undefeated, goes 4-0, and they play. They face out of the South Division, like a two and two Bucknell team, which we're going to talk more about Bucknell. And in a conference where the gap isn't as big as it would be, say, in like the Big Ten between division yeah. champs, Bucknell, a three and two team. And I mean, in fact, we had that problem in the, in the Pac-12, where Oregon didn't even win their division, and they won the conference title game. And clearly, USC would have been the better team representing the Pac-12 with Pat and Napoleon. I don't know about States. all that. I don't know about it. Look, like, usually, like, sure, I, like, have a bias against USC just because I don't like them randomly. But I will say I don't think it was, like, it's as clear as you were making it sound that they were better. I, th- I kind of think it is because one of Oregon's losses was to one and two California. Okay. Like, a one a one and three California team. That, I think that's all. I mean, let's be about. real here. Like, and then, like, USC was losing pairs in the state by, like, three scores with, like, a quarter left. Like they came back obviously and won like bear, like by the by the fucking skin of their nutsack, dude. But it's like, it, it's like, it's <laughs> like come on, like it it doesn't like say like great things about their program that they had to do that. Like, I don't know. Okay, I, I see your point, but I think if you ask a room of, I think I think the metrics kind of had like USC being the better team too, because. Okay, yeah, sure, they, they, they slipped against Arizona and Arizona State, but against – I'm going to pull up their schedule, too, actually. Against Utah, I know for sure they, they played dominant against Utah. Against Utah. Um, kind of tough. It's like a Pac-12. It's like the amount of games they played was, was kind of strange. Who they played. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you have the Arizona and Arizona State games where they clearly weren't the best team there. But against Utah, 16-point win. Against Washington State, who had their flashes. 25 point win. UCLA, I mean, UCLA was all right this year, 42 38. But, I mean, you compare that to Oregon, I mean, 
I just I just think USC is definitely the better team. And in that case, Oregon, I wouldn't say got lucky, but under the under the law of any given Saturday, anyone can be anyone. The law of any given Saturday prevails. Here we go. Right. Can happen in the FCS this year. Look at this. So in terms of EPA per play over the last college football season, USC was ranked 34. Oregon was ranked 37. USC had 0.052 EPA per play. Oregon had 0.045, a difference of 0.007. Okay, EPA per play. 0.007 is their difference, right? These teams are basically equivalent. They were equivalent, essentially, in EPA per play, okay? Their record's a little bit different, obviously, but... Come on, it, it was not, it's not completely unfounded to say that they weren't basically the exact same team. Okay. So I'd hate to say this cop out that I hate from the CFP poll, but I test. And I'm and I'm sure the eye test matters I to, test. to the casual fan. Okay. To the I test. Fan. Give me that eye test when they're losing by three scores to fucking Arizona State that didn't win almost a single game almost. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, come on now. I, I guess going back to our main topic, you can have with the conference championship games happening for almost every conference, you can have the same discussion that we're having right now as to whether the better team is representing who in the playoffs, you know, especially the FCS playoffs. And I guess we'll start with the Patriot League, where I guess with us with the topic of windows, like San Jose State having their championship window be this year, same thing with Ball State, their first conference title since '96 for the Cardinals. I think a team that could have a window. Um, could be Bucknell. And like I mentioned with the Patriot League having like a cycling, I think the Patriot League, the best description, uh, the best comparison to FBS is the ACC Coastal who had, so you take the ACC Coastal, they've had seven champions in seven years from 2012 to 20 to 2019. Yeah, 2012, no, 2013 to 2019. They've had seven different champions. You insert Notre Dame, they win the Coastal Division or not really the Coastal Division, but they go to the ACC title game kind of shows you how open the ACC Coastal is. Same thing with the Patriot League. It's not as bad, but it's pretty much always open each year. So Bucknell, they're in the South Division with Lafayette and Lehigh, who both had losing records last year. Uh, Lehigh, Lehigh went 4-7. and seven, Lafayette went 4-8. and eight, And Bucknell went 3-8. and eight. So one of those teams is going to go to the Patriot League Championship game with a shot at the playoffs there. And last year, Bucknell lost 21-17 to, La- to Lafayette, but beat Lehigh 20-10. And across in the cross the in the North Division of the Patriot League, you have Fordham, Holy Cross, and Colgate, and they have Fordham and Holy Cross cross divisionally. Fordham went four and seven as well, four and eight. Fordham went four and eight. Holy Cross, of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the mighty Crusaders went to the playoffs, and they lost to Holy Cross by a touchdown, but lost to Fordham thirty-one to fourteen. I mean, with with all that being said. Bucknell can easily beat both their divisional opponents, have tiebreakers over them, lose one of the cross-divisional games, and skate into the Patriot League title game at 3-1. and one. And you know what? That would be huge for Bucknell, Marshall. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out some facts that might just drop your jaw. So despite being 20th all-time in FCS wins, their program started in, 1880s, in the 1880s. Uh, one notable alumni, uh, Christy Mathewson, Hall of Fame pitcher for the New York Giants for uh, baseball his- historians like myself, uh, that's a huge name, and that's who their field's named after, the great Christy Mathewson, who died, at, who died as a result of um, mustard gas poisoning after World War One. It just lingered with him, and he died in the 20s. Um, so 20th all-time in, in FCS wins. Do you know when their last postseason game was, when this program's last postseason game was? Mm, maybe like the 70s? Uh, no, the 1935 Orange Bowl. 
against uh, against Miami. <laughs> that was the last postseason game for Bucknell. Was it 1935? 1935, yes. All right. Was that was and that even recorded? Like, is there even any like? Did anyone even write down the final score of that game? <laughs> I think Bucknell won that one, 20 to six. So they're undefeated in the Orange Bowl, uh, which is a lot more than a lot of teams can say. So that was their last. Uh, po- they've had they've had good seasons. That was, that was their last postseason game. But since then, they won the Lambert Cup for the best lower division Eastern team in 1960 and 64. But they only have one conference championship to their names, the 1965 Middle Atlantic Conference, which was a college division, which was the equivalent of FCS in Division Two. Um, 1997 is probably the year that longtime uh, Bucknell fans like turn, they toss and turn, and I think you know because that team went 10 and one, but their only loss was their only loss cost them the Patriot League title. So instead of 10 and one Bucknell going to the playoffs, seven and four Colgate did because they had the tiebreaker over Bucknell, and Bucknell didn't even win a share. Like they hmm. um, they went five and one in the Patriot League, and Colgate went six and zero. Oh. So granted, there is le- I think while there's less room for error. There's less that teams have to do to earn a shot for the playoffs like Bucknell. And I think that's a storyline that people could, could look at because I think the Patriot League, for for historians like myself, history buffs, I think the Patriot League's your league because you have so many old programs that appeared in the big bowls. You have Fordham with the seven blocks of granite, the iconic line that they had in the Patriot League with uh, Vince Lombardi, a uh, couple of NFL players that are escaping my, my uh, head right now. You have... Holy Cross, which I grew up 10 minutes away from while I'm wearing this hoodie. Um, you have the Crusaders who had, um, who also appeared in the Orange Bowl, actually lost the Orange Bowl in 46, I think, on a last second um, pick six. Very heartbreaking, but also boasted a Heisman finals in the 80s. And then you have Colgate, too, who had a, a 1932 team that's still known in the annals as the uninvited or the unscored upon, undefeated, untied, unscored upon, and uninvited Colgate team because they're expecting. They had their bags packed, expecting a Rose Bowl birth, and they weren't invited. Wow. So, you know, just like me, was not invited to start a relationship. So uh, <laughs> I, I got to put in the jokes. Down bad. <laughs> I, I, I am down bad. But uh, all jokes aside, yeah. So, I mean, if you if you love history. And then, of course, you have Lafayette and Lehigh. You better believe I'm going to be watching the Lafayette-Lehigh game when it happens this spring. That's probably the best rivalry that people overlook every year. So, again, Patriot League – Amidst all the history, that's a storyline to look for. Another conference, um, I kind of want to know your opinion on the MIAC. Do you, do you think in the next couple of years we'll even have the MIAC exist as a conference, Marshall, before we start talking about uh, the situation this year? Okay, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a MIAC expert, okay? So I know, so I got these teams, so I have a list of teams, right? I guess I don't know why they wouldn't be a conference. Like maybe you're going to have to teach me a little bit about this one. Like what's the controversy there? Okay, so pretty much there's been a mass exodus. It started in 2018 with Hampton leaving for the Big South. Okay. Then NCANT, which uh, if you if you casually watch HBCU football like myself, you know, which means probably like the Bayou Classic and the Celebration Bowl, the only HBCU games you watch a year. <laughs> you know about NCANT winning three straight, 2017, 2018, yeah, three straight Celebration Bowls, and you probably know about Tariq Cohen having a, an absolutely stunning performance in the inaugural Celebration Bowl in 2015. Uh, so you probably know about NC State, NCANT. They left for the Big South as well. And then this past spring, you had uh, Florida A&M and uh, Bethune-Cookman, who have a rivalry every year called the Florida Classic. And I'm pulling out a book from my bookshelf. So 
to sort of drive home the Florida A&M. This book, Breaking the Line, kind of explains the brand that uh, Florida A&M has been in black college football since the 60s. Really great book called Breaking the Line. I'll put in the description. So you're down to six teams. You have Delaware State, Howard, Morgan State, Norfolk State, and North Carolina Central and South Carolina State. And the minimum you have for a conference in FCS is six teams. And the Big South recently lost a couple teams or a couple football playing schools to the Atlantic Sun. So I think any day now, you can either have the Atlantic Sun or the Big South purge the MEAC, putting the conference in jeopardy. So so what happens like if like the conference gets disbanded? Is there an FCS independent? Is there, like, do they have to go somewhere? What, what do they do? So either it's either independence or they join another conference. And with some of these schools, there's like good landing spots um, in terms of like football, like for Delaware State, they, they can probably join the Northeast Conference. Um, and I think the, the Northeast Conference is courting them too this summer before those rumors subsided. Uh, Morgan okay. State, same thing. Howard, probably the same thing. They'd be a great ad academically for any conference. Um, maybe even the Patriot League, if anything, because they're a good research con uh, institution. And, um, but the Patriot League, they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of a snooty bunch, you know? <laughs> Sorry, I had some technical difficulties for a second. I think I think that's me. I think I accidentally am muting you. What the heck? Yeah, I'm no. trying to mute. Can you? Because can you hear the background right now? Is there? Yeah, um, there's yeah. not much of a background. I can hear like okay. some. some it's hard to get the noise in the background. I wasn't sure if you could hear it, so I go to mute myself. And somehow I'm muting you. I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, well, well, I, I guess to, to rehash the point, um, I think I left off on. Um, yeah, the Patriot League being a snooty bunch in terms of Howard. And then you have schools like Norfolk State, North Carolina Central, South Carolina State that are easily in the Big South and Atlantic Suns footprint. Uh, the Atlantic Suns trying to start football in the next couple of years, and they have five members right now. They need six to start a conference. Uh, but the one, the one caveat is they, they have aspirations for FBS football. So I don't know if H an HBCU want to be at the FBS level. Um, so just a little background on the MEAC. And I think the, you can already see this year with like the, the drop in quality in MEAC play because the best team, there's only one team with a winning record returning to the conference this year, South Carolina State at eight and three. And they're doing the divisional thing too, like the Patriot League and uh, get a load of this uh, division, Marshall, the MEAC North. You have Delaware State who went two and 10, Howard who went two and 10, and Morgan State who went three and nine. And uh, one of those teams is going to have a 50-50 shot at a, at a conference title when it's all said and done. Um, so that'll be another storyline to watch. And because as you know, as most, as most casual fans know, the MEAC champ plays in the celebration bowl, but a lot of, a lot of these teams have um, really have not had a good time lately, but you take Morgan state, for instance, they've had two conference titles in 77. Their latest one came in uh, in the wild five way MEAC tie of 2014, which I think maybe we should do a podcast on that. That's, that's absolutely insane. Uh, Norfolk State has a one playoff appearance since 2011, or a 2011 playoff appearance. Delaware State has a 07 playoff appearance. And then Howard has no playoff appearances since 1994. And that goes for, like, the Celebration Bowl as well. So definitely a, a storyline to follow as well. Um, and HBCU football full of tradition. So I, I think, I think um, so Marshall, I, I, I want to go back to the conference championship discussion. Do you think the MEAC should be having a conference championship game? I mean, because you look at 
that, the MEAC North, like, do you really want one of those teams to upset your undisputable, arguably best team and represent the MEAC in the playoffs? Well, I mean, I guess with that one, like, how do you decide who's the champion? Like, do you just pick the best record? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, too, with, like, COVID, you know. But I feel like I feel like you don't want – I mean, I think divisions are good for COVID mitigation. And, you know, excuse me for, for wanting playoff quality over safety, you know, for, forgive me, really. But um, I think I think you got to do what the ACC did and make, like, a regionalized schedule and have the two best teams, like, the two best, like, teams in the state. Because it's only a six-team league. If the ACC can figure it out with 15 teams – <laughs> I think the MEAC can figure it out with just six teams in a four-week schedule because literally the divisional schedule is every division opponent plays each other twice, and that's that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess at that point, then it's like if they already have played – well, <laughs> also I guess it's easy to say now because last year they were so horrible, but it's like what if there is a team that emerges good from the North? Right? I mean, it's like then yeah, yeah. you might want that matchup. I don't know. I guess I would err on the side of like, yes, there should be a championship because let's say like they're all like the equivalent of last year's teams. They're all like two and 10 again or whatever, right? I mean, obviously not with that many games, but they're the equivalent, right? Yeah. And then it's like you put them up against a good, was it South Carolina State? Like they'd probably just get, get absolutely just like ro- drove into the ground, right? I mean, it's like yeah. – I guess it's like there's a chance of upset, but I feel like if the difference is like that big, there's not really a worry there. And so you might as well have one. But at the same time, you're like reserving yourself the upside of in case there is a good team that, you know? Yeah. I I mean, I'm saying like maybe like the method they choose conference champions would be, be better off like the ACC and the Mountain West doing the top two teams in the league because, um, with the Mountain West, I guess it would have still been the same like divisional format. If they would have chosen divisions, you would have, you would have the same matchup with um, Boise State, San Jose State. With the ACC, kind of tough to tell with Notre Dame in the picture, but I would assume Notre Dame would be in the Coastal, and you have the same matchup. With here, you have the potential of like blocking out, you know, maybe like Norfolk State who went five and who went five and seven. They have it, um, an all right four game stretch, and they go like three and one, but that one loss is to like South Carolina State. When on the other side, you have two and two Delaware state just like barely scraping by or potentially two and three because they play up Delaware in the on the wall sorry what's this I gotta see what this rivalry is named again against Delaware against the University of Delaware the Blue Hens the um sorry you're gonna have to give me a second oh man geez my calendar's sticky okay well the Delaware Delaware state Delaware Delaware state rivalry the, the route one rivalry so they might end up with a losing record in the conference championship game due to one knock on one non-conference game so it's like, do you want to block out a Norfolk State team that is clearly better than their cross-divisional counterparts, you know, just because you have divisions, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's like truly I, there's just like no winning with this like few games, you know, it's like you just kind of have to pick something randomly almost. So I would say like have a championship because why not? Yeah, yeah, I mean, revenue, I guess, you know, yeah. championships are cash grabs. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Out of out of the MIAC, I must say I will be rooting for Howard with no playoff appearances since '94, with Delaware State or Morgan State being a close second or third. I'll just be rooting out of someone from the MIAC North, uh, <laughs> out of the South. I think um, North Carolina Central trying to avenge their trying to win the MIAC 
for their first title since 2016 when they played in the iconic excessive celebration bowl which was a celebration bowl that was decided on an excessive celebration penalty ironically enough <laughs> um, <laughs> so that would be something to look out for and i think the last conference that has sort of a window uh these weaker conferences in uh, fcs have more parity it seems like because um the nec they're defending champions uh, central connecticut state uh, this is like different than the other two leagues. Central Connecticut State went 11 and two last year, and they're flat out not playing the spring season. And Robert Morris, the second best team, is now in the Big South after in all of the sports that joined the Horizon League. So you have you have six teams in the NEC, uh, four of them, three of which have never made the playoffs. So half the teams have never never made the playoffs, and they'll also have a title game. But they're doing the conference standings standings thing. It looks like because um, there's no divisions in the Northeast Conference this year. So I think two teams that are of note are the Bryant Bulldogs in Rhode Island, who went 4-8 and eight last year. They have games against Long Island, who went 0-10, and, and Wagner, who went 1-12. and 12. So that looks like two easy wins right there. And they have a, a game against Merrimack, who's in their second year in FCS, who went 6-5 and five last year. Same thing with Merrimack. Merrimack play, plays a, a down-bad pair of Long Island and Wagner, and they had that game against Bryant. So the Merrimack, or sorry, Merrimack, excuse me, Merrimack Bryant game could be one of the more important games in the FCS spring season, as it could uh, lead one of these teams to the championship game and closer to a spot in the playoffs. Um, but again, could, could be a small window there in the Northeast. Uh, so I, I want to know your thoughts here too. Like, uh, you, th- you think a team like LIU or Wagner should just hang it up for the spring season? Like. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like if New Mexico State didn't, like, why should they, <laughs> you know? Like, I truly, like, it's like, truly, like, if if you're just, like, playing games and it's, and it's like, if you're, if you're never, like, a championship contender anyways, you might as well just play your games, you know? Because like, it's like, at that rate, it's like, if you, it's like, if your question is, are you going to try and win a championship or you're just not going to play? It's like, well, then that's a, that's a bad question because you're never going to win. Like, not that you're never going to win, but it's not like you're, you know, they're not North Dakota State, right? And so if you're just, you know, they're, they're feeling a team, and they're playing games, like not to say that it's purposeless, but like the purpose is to play. The purpose isn't necessarily like to win or to like have a long season, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess with this, cause like there's really not much discussion on like the Northeast conference, like the contenders are there. There's going to be parody in the Northeast conference. Like also too, I, I missed on, it's like Duquesne. Duquesne went six and five last year. They made the playoffs two years ago. Um, and also Sacred Heart. Out of- oh, we're having a hard time. We're having a hard time hearing you. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, as I was saying, um, Duquesne, you have Duquesne, who went 6-5, and five, also playing in uh, the Northeast Conference. And you also have Sacred Heart, who went 7-5 and five last year. So you have two solid teams. So those teams appear to be front runners out there in the Northeast. But really not much discussion. I, I want to ask, though, do you think sort of these teams play short in seasons and kind of making the playoffs, I guess, with uh, – less of a tougher road, naturally playing less games, so less room to screw up. Do you think that cheapens the FCS playoffs this spring, or do you think it'll be, like, a cool experience with a lot of parity and a lot of new faces that you otherwise wouldn't see? Yeah, I think it'll probably be it'll probably be the latter. You know, it's like if there's more – if there's, you know, different teams than there traditionally are, it's just kind of cool. You know, it's like how you had a bunch of new teams in the, you know, Division One, not playoff. Playoff, I guess, technically, you know. That sounds weird to say, Division Division One playoff, FBS playoff at least. That, yeah. sounds, that sounds weird, but, but it's like you did have you know new teams in the top twenty-five, 
and that was super cool you know as someone who doesn't follow fcs as much i don't think it's like a huge deal to me either way because i wouldn't really know you know like if i like as a casual fan like i wouldn't be there and say oh i see a few new teams in there whereas it's like if you see you know marshall and you see eastern carolina and you see liberty right in the top 25 you're like oh i recognize that they're not usually there so i think it'll be cool for existing fans i think uh that are like much like more familiar with the landscape of the fcs um but i think i mean it, it doesn't really move the needle for me it's like i will probably end up watching their games right like i think it's cool they have spring games i think it's cool that they'll be the you know one of the only things on tv i think it'll be a great thing for terms of, in terms of viewership i think that'll be cool but in terms of the landscape overall i'm not sure it'll make a huge difference necessarily yeah i mean i, th I think that uh, sentiment shared too because i i pull these numbers off just uh, a day of research and the, really the only um only league i follow is the ivy league in terms of fcs football and unfortunately they're not playing this year with the, with the patriot league being close second due to the academic profile of schools and just growing up watching holy cross football but i mean it, it will be interesting i think just seeing these new faces and knowing that um a this team has not played in the postseason for a while or like it's their first postseason appearance uh hopefully the games will be competitive i think that might be revealing too because uh the way that it see like the FCS tournament seeds um, things like the, you know, the basketball, like the, the men's basketball, or not men's, but the basketball tournament where the strongest seeds play the weakest seeds. And that might expose some teams that, that might be very bad. But I mean, who, who am I to say now as to whether that will happen? Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I'm pretty excited too. And, uh, you know, I, th I think just these stories too, like such as Bucknell, for them to finally get their first postseason game since 1935, that happens. I'm just going to say right now that this might be a, a desperate plea for more viewers, but if, if Bucknell um, makes the postseason for the first time since 1935, uh, I, I think I'll, I think I'll have a girlfriend this year. I, I, I this freezing cold takes. Yeah. You never want down. a girlfriend, do you? <laughs> freezing <laughs> cold takes, write, write that down. If, if Bucknell makes the playoffs, um, I, I think I'm due for a girlfriend. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's gonna be like it's like it's like one of those things where they say it's like you know hell has to freeze over but then you're gonna have to have like two of those things happen you know it's like oh boy that's a that's a tall order for for the man upstairs <laughs> yeah i mean 80 86 years yeah, 86 years is a long time but uh what's I longer mean, 20 22 or 86 <laughs> <laughs> i'm 21 okay <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't add an extra year, but hey, I mean, if San if San Jose State, uh, you you saw the list I was compiling, um, you know, after Kirk Cousins brought the you like that back, if San Jose State can go eight and zero for the first time since thirty eight, I I think this is very possible for Bucknell to go to to win a conference championship game and go like four and one. I, sure. I think that's very possible. So yeah, at first when you were saying that, I was a little scared. I thought you were going to say, yeah, it's very possible for me to get a girlfriend. And I was going to have to be like, Omar, look, this is not <laughs> a, this is not a fictional like podcast where we talk about, you know, stories where we, we want what we want to happen. You know? All right, man. All right. Hey. All right. Uh, I think it's, I think before I, I take any more damage, I think it's best that we don't. <laughs> before I take damage. So I will uh, say something interesting, something interesting I just, I just saw here. You, like I guess a month ago, Tony Romo in the 2021 College Hall of Fame class. It's kind of interesting. But. Okay, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, no, he put up some numbers out there for Eastern Illinois. Um, yeah, congratulations kind of to him. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's it's good for sure. Uh, of course, I had yeah. to 
put it put in your Cowboys point for the day, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I am a Tony Romo fan. Don't get me wrong. I just I don't know how I, I feel like it was helpful to be like a very successful NFL and announcing career in order to get because it's like, yeah, you know, it's because it says here like Eastern Illinois star Tony Romo, but it's like I feel like that same year there was probably other people that were bigger stars. You know, I, I guess I don't know for sure, but I would agree because and you just have to look at who announced that he was in the Hall of Fame, Jim Nance. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, come on, you know. It's funny, but anyway. Uh, yeah, like uh, until next time, unless Marshall is, uh, has has any more roasts for me. Um, well, I mean, I if you're for that, we can be here another week. <laughs> I think we'll cut it off. I think we'll cut it off now. Then um, until next time, we'll, we'll see you and uh, peace, love, and soul, everyone.